Part three of Volume one of Plutarch's Parallel Lives. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading by Robin Cotter, October two thousand eight. Volume one of Plutarch's Parallel Lives of the Noble Greeks and Romans. Translated by Bernadotte Perrin. Theseus, Part Three. Well, then, such were the grounds for the war of the Amazons, which seems to have been no trivial nor womanish enterprise for Theseus. For they would not have pitched their camp within the city, nor fought hand to hand battles in the neighborhood of the Pinks and the Museum, had they not mastered the surrounding country and approached the city with impunity. Whether now, as Hellenicus writes, they came round by the Cimmerian Bosporus, which they crossed on the ice, may be doubted, but the fact that they encamped almost in the heart of the city is attested both by the names of the localities there and by the graves of those who fell in battle. Now for a long time there was hesitation and delay on both sides in making the attack, but finally Theseus, after sacrificing to fear, in obedience to an oracle, joined battle with the women. This battle, then, was fought on the day of the month Bodromian, on which, down to the present time, the Athenians celebrate the Bodromia. Cledemus, who wishes to be minute, writes that the left wing of the Amazons extended to what is now called the Amazonium, and that with their right they touched the pinks at Crisa that with his left wing the Athenians fought, engaging the Amazons from the museum, and that the graves of those who fell are on either side of the street, which leads to the gate by the chapel of Chalcodon, which is now called the Piraic Gate. Here, he says, the Athenians were rooted and driven back by the women as far as the shrine of Eumenides, but those who attacked the invaders from the Palladium and Ardetus and the Lyceum drove their right wing back as far as to their camp, and slew many of them. And after three months, he says, a treaty of peace was made through the agency of Hippolyta, for Hippolyta is the name which Cledemus gave to the Amazon whom Theseus married, not Antiope. But some say that the woman was slain with a javelin by Molpadia, while fighting at Theseus's side, and that the pillar which stands by the sanctuary of Olympian earth was set up in her memory, and it is not astonishing that history, when dealing with events of such great antiquity, should wander in uncertainty. Indeed, we are also told that the wounded Amazons were secretly sent away to Chalcis by Antiope, and were nursed there, and some were buried there, near what is now called the Amazonium. But that the war ended in a solemn treaty is attested not only by the naming of the place adjoining the Theseum, which is called Horcomosium, but also by the sacrifice which, in ancient times, was offered to the Amazons before the festival of Theseus. And the Megarians, too, show a place in their country where Amazons were buried, on the way from the market-place to the place called Rus, where the rhomboid stands. And it is said, likewise, that others of them died near Chironia, and were buried on the banks of the little stream, which in ancient times, as it seems, was called Thermodon, but nowadays Hamon. 
concerning which names I have written in my life of Demosthenes. It appears also that not even Thessaly was traversed by the Amazons without opposition, for Amazonian graves are to this day shown in the vicinity of Scotusa and Cynocephalae. So much, then, is worthy of mention regarding the Amazons, for the insurrection of the Amazons, written by the author of The Theseid, telling how, when Theseus married Phaedra, Antiope and the Amazons who fought to avenge her, attacked him, and were slain by Heracles, has every appearance of fable and invention. Theseus did indeed marry Phaedra, but this was after the death of Antiope, and he had a son by Antiope, Hippolytus, or, as Pindar says, Demophon. As for the calamities which befell Phaedra and the son of Theseus by Antiope, since there is no conflict here between historians and tragic poets, we must suppose that they happened as represented by the poets uniformly. There are, however, other stories also about marriages of Theseus, which were neither honourable in their beginnings, nor fortunate in their endings, but these have not been dramatised. For instance, he is said to have carried off Anaxo, a maiden of Troison, and after slaying Sinis and Circeon, to have ravished their daughters, also to have married Periboa, the mother of Aeus, and Pheroboa afterwards, and Iope, the daughter of Iphicles, and because of his passion for Aegle, the daughter of Panopeus, as I have already said, he is accused of the desertion of Ariadne, which was not honourable, nor even decent. And finally his rape of Helen is said to have filled Attica with war, and to have brought about at last his banishment and death, of which things I shall speak a little later. Of the many exploits performed in those days by the bravest men, Herodorus thinks that Theseus took part in none, except that he aided the Lapithae in their war with the centaurs. But others say that he was not only with Jason at Colchis, but helped Melagar to slay the Caledonian boar, and that hence arose the proverb, Not without Theseus. That he himself, however, without asking for any ally, performed many glorious exploits, and that the phrase, Lo, another Heracles, became current with reference to him. He also aided Adrastus in recovering for burial the bodies of those who had fallen before the walls of the Cadmia, not by mastering the Thebans in battle, as Euripides has it in his tragedy, but by persuading them to a truce, for so most writers say, and Philochorus adds that this was the first truce ever made for recovering the bodies of those slain in battle, although in the accounts of Heracles it is written that Heracles was the first to give back their dead to his enemies. And the graves of the greater part of those who fell before Thebes are shown at Eleutherae, and those of the commanders near Eleusis, and this last burial was a favour which Theseus showed to Adrastus. The account of Euripides in his suppliance is disproved by that of Aeschylus in his Eleusinians, where Theseus is made to relate the matter as above. The friendship of Perithoeus and Theseus is said to have come about in the following manner. Theseus had a very great reputation for strength and bravery, and Perithoeus was desirous of making test and proof of it. 
Accordingly, he drove Theseus's cattle away from Marathon, and when he learned that their owner was pursuing him in arms, he did not fly, but turned back and met him. When, however, each beheld the other with astonishment at his beauty and admiration of his daring, they refrained from battle, and Perithoeus, stretching out his hand the first, bade Theseus himself be judge of his robbery, for he would willingly submit to any penalty which the other might assign. Then Theseus not only remitted his penalty, but invited him to be a friend and brother in arms whereupon they ratified their friendship with oaths. After this, when Perithoeus was about to marry Deidamia, he asked Theseus to come to the wedding, and see the country, and become acquainted with the Lapithae. Now he had invited the centaurs also to the wedding feast, and when these were flown with insolence and wine, and laid hands upon the women, the Lapithae took vengeance upon them. Some of them they slew upon the spot, the rest they afterwards overcame in war, and expelled from the country, Theseus fighting with them at the banquet and in the war. Herodorus, however, says that this was not how it happened, but that the war was already in progress when Theseus came to the aid of the Lapithae, and that on his way thither he had his first sight of Heracles, having made it his business to seek him out at Trachis, where the hero was already resting from his wandering and labours, and he says the interview passed with mutual expressions of honour, friendliness, and generous praise. Notwithstanding, one might better side with those historians who say that the heroes had frequent interviews with one another, and that it was at the instigation of Theseus that Heracles was initiated into the mysteries at Eleusis, and purified before his initiation, when he requested it on account of sundry rash acts. Theseus was already fifty years old, according to Hellenicus, when he took part in the rape of Helen, who was not of marriageable age. Wherefore some writers, thinking to correct this heaviest accusation against him, say that he did not carry off Helen himself, but that when Idas and Lynceus had carried her off, he received her in charge and watched over her, and would not surrender her to the Dioscuri when they demanded her, or, if you will believe it, that her own father, Tyndarius, entrusted her to Theseus, for fear of Inosphorus, the son of Hippocoon, who sought to take Helen by force, while she was yet a child. But the most probable account, and that which has the most witnesses in its favour, is as follows. Theseus and Perithoeus went to Sparta in company, seized the girl as she was dancing in the temple of Artemis Orthea, and fled away with her. Their pursuers followed them no farther than Tegea, and so the two friends, when they had passed through Peloponnesus, and were out of danger, made a compact with one another, that the one on whom the lot fell should have Helen to wife, but should assist the other in getting another wife. With this mutual understanding they cast lots, and Theseus won, and taking the maiden, who was not yet ripe for marriage, conveyed her to Aphidnae. Here he made his mother a companion of the girl, and committed both to Aphidness, a friend of his, with strict orders to guard them in complete secrecy. Then he himself, to return the service of Perithoeus, journeyed with him to Epirus, in quest of the daughter of Aeodineus, the king of the Molotians. This man called his wife Persephone, 
his daughter Cora, and his dog Cerberus, with which beast he ordered that all suitors of his daughter should fight, promising her to him that should overcome it. However, when he learned that Perithoeus and his friend were come not to woo, but to steal away his daughter, he seized them both. Perithoeus he put out of the way at once by means of the dog, but Theseus he kept in close confinement. Meanwhile, Menestheus, the son of Petios, grandson of Orneus, and great-grandson of Erechtheus, the first of men, as they say, to affect popularity and ingratiate himself with the multitude, stirred up and embittered the chief men in Athens. These had long been hostile to Theseus, and thought that he had robbed each one of the country nobles of his royal office, and then shut them all up in a single city, where he treated them as subjects and slaves. The common people also he threw into commotion by his reproaches. They thought they had a vision of liberty, he said, but in reality they had been robbed of their native homes and religions, in order that, in the place of many good kings of their own blood, they might look obediently to one master who was an immigrant and an alien. While he was thus busying himself, the Tyne Deridae came up against the city, and the war greatly furthered his seditious schemes. Indeed, some writers say outright that he persuaded the invaders to come. At first, then, they did no harm, but simply demanded back their sister. When, however, the people of the city replied that they neither had the girl nor knew where she had been left, they resorted to war. But Academus, who had learned in some way or other of her concealment at Aphidnae, told them about it. For this reason he was honoured during his life by the Tinderidae, and often afterwards, when the Lacedaemonians invaded Attica, and laid waste all the country round about, they spared the academy for the sake of Academus. But Dicarchus says that Eschidemus and Marathus of Arcadia were in the army of the Tyndaridae at that time, from the first of whom the present academy was named Academia, and from the other the township of Marathon, since in accordance with some oracle he voluntarily gave himself to be sacrificed in front of the line of battle. To Aphidnae, then, they came, won a pitched battle, and stormed the town. Here they say that among others, Alicus, the son of Sciron, who was at that time in the army of the Dioscuri, was slain, and that from him a place in Megara, where he was buried, is called Alicus. But Herius writes that Alcus was slain at Aphidnae by Theseus himself, and cites in proof these verses about Alcus, whom once in the plain of Aphidnae, where he was fighting, Theseus, ravisher of fair-haired Helen, slew. Unquote. However, it is not likely that Theseus himself was present when both his mother and Aphidnae were captured. At any rate, Aphidnae was taken, and the city of Athens was full of fear. But Menestheus persuaded its people to receive the Tyndaridae into the city, and show them all manner of kindness. Since they were waging war upon Theseus alone, who had committed the first act of violence, but were benefactors and saviors of the rest of mankind. And their behavior confirmed his assurances, for although they were masters of everything, they demanded only an initiation into the mysteries, since they were no less closely allied to the city than Heracles. 
This privilege was accordingly granted them, after they had been adopted by Aphidness, as Pileus had adopted Heracles. They also obtained honors like those paid to gods, and were addressed as Anacus, either on account of their stopping hostilities, or because of their diligent care that no one should be injured, although there was such a large army within the city. For the phrase Anacus Echian is used of such as care for, or guard anything, and perhaps it is for this reason that kings are called Anactus. There are also those who say that the Tindaridae were called Anacus because of the appearance of their twin stars in the heavens, since the Athenians use Anicus and Anicathan for Anno and Anothen, signifying above or on high. They say that Aethra, the mother of Theseus, who was taken captive at Aphidnae, was carried away to Lacedaemon, and from thence to Troy with Helen, and that Homer bears witness to this when he mentions as followers of Helen, quote, Aethra of Pythias born, and Clymene, large-eyed and lovely, unquote. But some reject this verse of Homer's, as well as the legend of Munichus, who was born in secret to Laodice from Demophon, and whom Aethra helped to rear in Ilium. But a very peculiar and wholly divergent story about Aethra is given by Ister in the thirteenth book of his Attic History. Some write, he says, that Alexander, Paris, was overcome in battle by Achilles and Patroclus in Thessaly, along the banks of the Spercius, but that Hector took and plundered the city of Troizen, and carried away Aethra, who had been left there. This, however, is very doubtful. Now, while Heracles was the guest of Aeodonius the Molician, the king incidentally spoke of the adventure of Theseus and Parathoius, telling what they had come there to do, and what they had suffered when they were found out. Heracles was greatly distressed by the inglorious death of the one, and by the impending death of the other. As for Parathoius, he thought it useless to complain, but he begged for the release of Theseus, and demanded that this favor be granted him. Aeodonius yielded to his prayers. Theseus was set free, and returned to Athens, where his friends were not yet altogether overwhelmed. All the sacred precincts which the city had previously set apart for himself, he now dedicated to Heracles, and called them Heraclea instead of Theseia, four only excepted, as Philochorus writes. But when he desired to rule again as before, and to direct the state, he became involved in factions and disturbances. He found that those who hated him when he went away had now added to their hatred contempt, and he saw a large part of the people were corrupted, and wished to be cajoled into service, instead of doing silently what they were told to do. Attempting then to force his wishes upon them, he was overpowered by demagogues and factions, and finally, despairing of his cause, he sent his children away privately into Euboa, to Elephenor, the son of Chalcodon, while he himself, after invoking curses upon the Athenians at Gargetus, where there is to this day the place called Eretorion, sailed away to the island of Skiros, where the people were friendly to him, as he thought, and where he had ancestral estates. Now Lycomedes was at that time king of Skiros. To him, therefore, Theseus applied with the request that his lands should be restored to him, since he was going to dwell there, 
though some say that he asked his aid against the Athenians. But Lycomedes, either because he feared a man of such fame, or as a favor to Menestheus, led him up to the high places of the land, on pretense of showing him from thence his lands, threw him down the cliffs, and killed him. Some, however, say that he slipped and fell down of himself while walking there after supper, as was his custom. At the time no one made any account of his death, but Menestheus reigned as king at Athens, while the sons of Theseus, as men of private station, accompanied Elephenor on the expedition to Ilium. But after Menestheus died there, they came back by themselves and recovered their kingdom. In after times, however, the Athenians were moved to honor Theseus as a demigod, especially by the fact that many of those who fought at Marathon against the Medes thought they saw an apparition of Theseus in arms, rushing on in front of them against the barbarians. And after the Median wars, in the archonship of Phaedo, when the Athenians were consulting the oracle at Delphi, they were told by the Pythian priestess to take up the bones of Theseus, give them honorable burial at Athens, and guard them there. But it was difficult to find the grave and take up the bones, because of the inhospitable and savage nature of the Dolopians, who then inhabited the island. However, Simon took the island, as I have related in his life, and being ambitious to discover the grave of Theseus, saw an eagle in a place where there was the semblance of a mound, pecking, as they say, and tearing up the ground with his talons. By some divine ordering he comprehended the meaning of this, and dug there, and there was found a coffin of a man of extraordinary size, a bronze spear lying by its side, and a sword. When these relics were brought home on his trireme by Simon, the Athenians were delighted, and received them with splendid processions and sacrifices, as though Theseus himself were returning to his city. And now he lies buried in the heart of the city, near the present gymnasium, and his tomb is a sanctuary and a place of refuge for runaway slaves and all men of low estate, who are afraid of men in power, since Theseus was a champion and helper of such during his life, and graciously received the supplications of the poor and needy. The chief sacrifice which the Athenians make in his honor comes on the eighth day of the month, Pionepsion, the day on which he came back from Crete with the youths, but they honor him also on the eighth day of the other months, either because he came to Athens in the first place from Troison on the eighth day of the month Hecatombeon, as Diodorus, the topographer, states, or because they consider this number more appropriate for him than any other, since he was said to be a son of Poseidon. For they pay honors to Poseidon on the eighth day of every month, the number eight, as the first cube of an even number, and the double of the first square, fitly represents the steadfast and immovable power of this god, to whom we give the epithets of Securer and Earthstayer. End of Theseus